One of our theme verses this year. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to First John. And while you're turning there is Matthew 19:14. Suffer the little... Uh, no, not our theme verse, but liken to it. But suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me. Uh, our theme verse is Matthew 18:3. It says, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children... Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I will tell you, as we thought about, as I thought about those theme verses for the year, I thought it would be much easier than it was to find sermons to preach, uh, because the the Bible is so full of verses telling us to have that simple, childlike faith. But there's one thing that I've often struggled with being a pastor and preaching and, of course, preaching in the same pulpit for all of these years uh, to many of the same people. It's really easy for us to get comfortable and not listen. And as a pastor, to get comfortable and say the same things over again. And what I want us to do is... To be challenged, we're going to just take one verse from the Bible uh, today. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18. And, and we will deal a few moments with its context to make sure that we're not adding our own ideas to this. But uh, rather than spending uh, our time on the overall thought of the passage, we're just going to try how to get into... Uh, direction here and how to obey uh, this command, this desire that is found in this verse. Verse 18 says, My little children. Now, John uses that phrase more often in this epistle than in any other place in the Bible. Jesus, on several occasions, uh, he said, Suffer the little children to come unto me. But, but John is addressing those that are saved. He is writing this book. Uh, this is his first letter. We do not know how early, exactly what time. You may have one of those Bibles that have dates attached to all everything that happened in the Bible. But honestly, we need to understand they are somewhat arbitrary. They're, they are not exact. Uh, and so, and we don't need to get caught up in that. But verse 18 says, my, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Many uh, that are with us here this morning, many members of our church, used to be members of a different religion, used to uh, follow a different faith. uh, And uh, one of the reasons why, uh, uh, as discussing this with people over the years, one of the reasons why they have come to this church and want to be because they want something that's more than just on Sunday morning. 
Uh, they want something more than just window trappings and beautiful decorations. They want something that's real. And that's what John is talking about here in verse 18. He, he says we need to be careful. He, he's admonishing them in chapter 2 to live a pure life. And earlier in chapter 3 to do that battle with sin and to live for God. And verse 18 he says... Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And I, I read this passage and, I mean, uh, my, my mind just constantly runs back to that place. Uh, many places I've been where it's J and... Uh, L-T-L-A, true love always. And uh, we know that that doesn't always last always, now does it? Uh, how many of you have ever been to uh, Harper's Ferry? There's a place there called Jefferson Rock that overlooks the convergence of the Shenandoah and the Potomac Rivers. Beautiful. you got quite a little climb to get up there. And uh, you're... Roughly 800, 1,000 feet above the water there, and you're just looking down in this beautiful valley. But all over the soft shale stone are names carved in there. And I've always thought, that's, that's loving in word. I mean, a lot of people are willing to say, I love you, but are they willing to prove it? He says, let's not love in word, neither in tongue. I mean, we speak a language where we say, oh, we just love everybody. Is that true? No, it's not true. Nobody loves everybody. We, we like to flatter ourselves and think that we do. Well, we don't. But the Bible is trying to help us understand something. If we're going to have real love, it has to be attached to deeds and it has to be attached to truth. Now, here's the reason it has to be attached to truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Uh, I do want to challenge you. There's this thing that's called love out there that is very destructive. It is incredibly dangerous. And if you ever hear someone say, well, if you really love me, you would... Uh, I want you to understand something. That's not love. Love never tries to use its power to manipulate you. But I will tell you this, true love will change you. We love him because he first loved us. And it is so easy... To say, we love God. 
I would trust that getting up early on a Sunday morning and getting properly dressed and coming here and being in this service uh, would be a, a reflection that you do have affection for God and for the Bible, for the singing of real Bible hymns and for the worship of the one true God. I, I hope that would be your motivation for being here this morning. But real love for God ought to change everything we do through the coming week, shouldn't it? Our, our relationship with God ought not be just relegated to a few hours uh, inside a church with other people who say the same thing. And what John is trying to do here is strike that chord to say, listen, we need to make our, our love to God more than just mental assent. Uh, I've met many, many people over the years, and they said, but I've always loved God. And my first question is, what, what church are you a part of? And they say, oh, we, I don't believe in that. Uh, how much time do you spend in the Bible? Oh, I, I read it occasionally, but, you know, I just love God. I, I pray to Him all the time. Um, could I challenge you? You cannot biblically pray to God in a way that He'll accept you without spending a lot of time in this book first. That, that this book determines our prayers. So often we will find ourselves, if we're not careful, right where the Pharisee was in Jesus' story, praying thus with Himself. And, and we wonder why God doesn't answer those prayers, because we're not praying to God. said, but I, I repeat the Lord's Prayer every day. Well, wait a minute. Before the Lord's Prayer, what people call the Lord's Prayer, is given, what did Jesus say? He said, after this manner, therefore pray ye. Don't just repeat the Lord's Prayer and call that prayer. That's like reading the directions. If you want to actually pray, you've got to live the directions. And that's a whole other sermon we don't have time for today. But if your Bible's still open to 1 John chapter 3, would you move back to verse 16 with us? This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. If you want to understand the love of God, if you want to perceive it, if you want to grasp it, because He laid down His life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Here's how we perceive God's love. If you read on in John to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, it says, We love Him. Because He first loved us. Have you thought about what Jesus did so that you and I can be saved? We think of God as all-powerful and almighty. We think of, and we know these things are true of God, and Jesus is God. 
And so in our reasoning that can go on in the human mind sometimes, we come to the conclusion, a false one, I want you to understand that it wasn't that big of a deal for Jesus to die on the cross because he's God. If you want to know how big a deal it was for Jesus to die on the cross, read the story of Gethsemane. For three hours, Jesus agonized in that garden as he was contemplating having the guilt and the punishment for all of our sins thrown upon him by Almighty God. He would scream out in the darkness, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This he did so that you and I could be saved. You see, these were the deeds. This is the truth of the love that John is talking about. Here in verse 3, uh, chapter 3, and verse 18. See, most people are willing to mentally accept the Lord, to, I understand He's God and I'm not, and so I'm going to surrender to Him. Um, I think it was Andrew who found this song. Uh, it said, uh, I'm willing to be, the words of the song, I'm willing to be a missionary as long as you send me to Sun City. And uh, I'm, I'm willing to teach in Sunday school as soon as you give me a Ph.D. And it goes on through all the, it's a little funny song uh, about all the silly things. And, and no one would ever say those things to God in their right mind. But how many of us have chided the Lord for asking us to do things we don't like to do? Do, do I really? Three, three services, Lord? Three? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night? That's, isn't that excessive? Uh, that's an attitude that comes from not understanding what Jesus did for us so we could be saved. We talk about serving the Lord. But you can't really serve the Lord till you let go of the world. When, when a person gets saved... The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Those three words are the confession, the statement of truth. That's what the word confession actually means, uh, is simply a statement of truth. That first word is often the most troublesome to most people. And see, the Jehovah's Witnesses, when they retranslated their Bible, they even took the the out of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word and put the indefinite article a there. In the beginning was a word, uh, which is what most people do when it comes to God. In the beginning was a 
word. I confess a Lord. It doesn't work that way. The means only one. Now, please do not misunderstand. I hope no one here even knows what I mean when I use the term Lordship Salvation. Uh, If that sounds really strange to you, go, thank you, Jesus, that I don't know. I haven't met some fruitcake that believes these things. But there are people out there who believe that if you sin after you get saved, you're not saved. Now, I am so glad that's not true, because if that were true, none of us would be saved. Making Jesus surrendering to the Lordship of Christ is simply that. And it's something that I must do each and every day. But when I get saved, it happens as a major decision. It was uh, September, let me remember, no, September 3rd, 1988. I made a decision. I put on this wedding ring. Actually, my bride helped me put it on. That's the way you're supposed to do it. Uh, She got as far as the big knuckle, and then I took care of the rest. And I put a ring on her finger, and, and we made a promise to each other to be husband and wife. Now, I'll tell you, I'll be the first to admit, I have not been the perfect husband as much as you would think that would be true. I'll burst your bubble here and let you know that uh, we are human beings. But we have been married all those years. And you know what makes a marriage good? Is when you wake up in the morning and recommit to the same decision that you made. And you know what? makes living for Christ good is not getting saved over and over again. Is waking up in the morning and committing to the decision that you made the day that you got saved. Amen? Love in deed and in truth. You see, Jesus is trying to help us understand what it takes to be saved. What did he surrender to leave heaven's glory and be born in Bethlehem's manger? Can you imagine that? We, we can't. We can't comprehend that. In fact, those of the Muslim faith, about uh, 10, 15 years ago, they were running around with their little debaters. And one of their points, every one of them was, you mean Mary changed God's diapers? And that was somehow supposed to shake your faith in the God of the Bible. Silly. If Jesus was going to enter the human race and be 100% human and 100% God, how else was he going to do it except be born as a baby? And you talk about the, the word is condescension. That means lowering. How much did Jesus have to give up? How much did he have to lower himself 
to be trapped in a human body, number one. But to have to wait for that body to grow and to learn how to walk and to read and all of the things that we do. Can I, can I challenge you? We see in the Bible often with the disciples, Jesus says, How long shall I suffer with you? And he calls them a faithless generation. Those were the apostles. Those were the best of the best. None of us would compare ourselves to one of them unless you're suffering from uh, visions of grandeur and other kinds of thought process incapacities. But what Jesus had to put up with from those disciples so that he could teach us his love. And when he told Peter about the cross, what did Peter do? Peter literally grabbed a hold of the Lord. Can you imagine this? Grabbing a hold of Jesus and said, You're not going to do this. I'm going to save you. Well, the Lord had only one rebuke for him. Get thee behind me, Satan. God does not need our protection. We need His. God has not ordered you and I to fight battles. He has already won. He did all that so that we could know what truth is and what love is. And you see, we're supposed to love others. What I'm trying to do here as a pastor this morning is to love the people that are assembled in this auditorium. You see, God is love. And if I can help you understand just a little more about God, I've accomplished that goal, haven't I? Because to have God in our lives is the ultimate of love. That's the truth. Every human being, and I've had people argue with me over the years, but I, I love my family and I love my wife and I don't care about God. And Okay. I understand your point. But the proper word would be affection and concern and care. Those are words. But love is a realm that belongs only to God. And I don't care how much you love or care about another person. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of God in there tempering you, you're going to give of yourself to that person wanting something back in return. That is human nature. That's what God fixes. That's why Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, was able to go back again and again and again and again. And to be thrown in prison and to be thrown in a dungeon and to be left there to sink in the mire and the, and the muck in the bottom of that dungeon until that ooze had, was swallowing him up. And finally, 
the Ethiopian eunuch in the palace went and said, we got to get Jeremiah out of there. And they pulled him out of that ooze and, and saved his life. God protected him. And Jeremiah, what did he do? He kept telling him God's truth. Not because he was a superman. Not because he had some kind of heart that just, oh, I just have so much affection for the, my people. No. He wanted to share God with the people he lived because he knew it was the only answer. And even when they wouldn't listen, he kept going. You see, that's, that's real love. You see, if we say we love God, then shouldn't we Shouldn't there be? If I love God, if you love God, shouldn't we agree on some things because we love the same thing? Amen? Shouldn't that be true? I mean, I don't understand it. We take a, a moment here and fly into the world in which we live. People say... I love America, and therefore we should have the right to burn the flag, and we should replace our entire system, and we should destroy everything good about America, and we should teach that they were all slave owners. And I'm sorry, that's not loving America. America's got its problems. But if we're going to be a true lover of America, there's, there's one thing that America has in its history. It's called an individual freedom to serve others. That's the pursuit of happiness. That's a whole other series of sermons, actually, but we don't have time for this morning. But if you say you love God, and I love God, there, there must be some commonality there. There's got to be some overlap. There's got to be some things that we would be in agreement unless you love a different God than I love. Well, then there would be differences, wouldn't there? We could say the same thing, but we would mean something completely different. Are Are you with me on this? Hello? Amen? You see, John is saying, my little children, love not in word, Don't be satisfied just to talk about it. And don't love in tongue. And and what he means by that is we can learn the language. One of the things I I warn our students when they go to Heartland. Heartland is a great Bible college. I believe it's the best place we can send our students to be trained for the ministry. But I, I warn them, living on on the campus at Heartland is not a guarantee that you're a born-again, sold-out Christian. Guess what? You can learn the tongue. You can learn how to dress right. You can learn how to walk right. But that doesn't make you right. The same thing happens in church, doesn't it? It's easy to learn the language, and you can come for years and years and years and be a part of everything that goes on here. But if there's no truth, if there's no deeds attached to that thing, is it real? No, it's not. 
And that's what John is trying to address here. Because if you read the next few verses, we're there in verse 18. My little children, let us, not, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Oh, my, my, my. I met a young person years ago, and they made a profession of faith in our church and was baptized and just talked about how that God had worked in their lives. And then a few weeks later, came to me and says, When I open my heart to God, heavy metal rock and roll music comes out. And I said, well, there's a problem with that. Really? What's the problem? That was the answer. I said, well, uh, if you'll talk to every other rock and roll musician, I'm not talking about the little ones that aren't good enough to make the big time, but if you'll talk to the big time musicians, are they talking about loving God or are they talking about worshiping Satan? Uh, Are they talking about living moral or are they taking the most vile and debasing acts known to mankind and putting it into the lyrics of their music? Uh, You're God. And it was hard. I don't like telling people this. See, you need to understand something. The God that you're worshiping isn't the one that's in this book called the Bible. You see, when John is saying, if our heart condemns us, he's not saying, follow your heart. Solomon took care of that in the book of Proverbs when he said, the, heart, um, uh, the fool desireth to know, his, seeketh to know his own heart. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, what is this talking about here when it says, if our heart condemns us, uh, God is greater, and if our heart is not condemning us, then we can have confidence toward God. Well, you see, John said we need to love indeed what we do, but in truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Jesus prayed in John 17. Then he made this statement, thy word is truth. You see, when it says, if my heart condemns me, how many of you have read a verse in this Bible and said, oh my, I am not doing what this verse says? How many of you have had that experience? Reading something in the Bible. You can raise your hand. It's church. Nobody will get mad at you here. Uh, Let's be honest. How many of you have read a verse in the Bible and it was just like the Holy Spirit of God was knocking on the door and saying, this one's talking about you. I'll tell you, I have. And by the way, the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. It's not in dreams and visions and extra things. If you want to understand about God, you've got to stick with the book. And if you want to have your heart moved, 
we use the Word of God. And that Word, that truth, is what tempers our love, is what keeps us on track, is what keeps us away from error. Because I will tell you this, your heart can believe anything that is out there. How many of you remember when you were attending false religions and, and, and participating in those ceremonies? Did you do it saying, wow, this is a bunch of garbage, but I'll do it? No. You sincerely participated seeking God and hoping to find God by doing those things, but it just kept coming back empty, didn't it? You see, it wasn't attached to truth. But when it's attached to truth, all of a sudden, things start working. You know, as John is relating here, he uses this term, my little children. He's saying, if we want to understand love, we look at what Jesus did for us. God is trying to help us understand our relationship toward Him. Because it should be like that of a child to their father. You want to know why masculinity and manhood and fatherhood is under such attack in our society? Because if you don't understand the role of a man, if you don't understand leadership, if you don't understand the role of a father, you will never understand God. And his great love that he has for you. It is hard for many of us in this generation and in every generation. Because very few men are willing to stand up and be that man that God wants them to be. Now this isn't a Father's Day sermon. But I want you to understand something. Even if you grew up in a home where the father wasn't what he was supposed to be. You can still read in this Bible and you'll find out that Abraham wasn't always the father he was supposed to be. And Isaac wasn't always the father he was supposed to be. And and so on. Because we're human beings. Amen. But I'll tell you this. My father was not a preacher. He was a machinist. He made little pieces of steel out of big pieces of steel. And he only did one thing. He said, son, don't you ever be a machinist. Be anything else. Well, he got two preachers out of three sons. And so, praise the Lord. But what... I'm trying to make a point here is when I had disagreements with my father and I did, my father died before I turned 15, but I I was old enough to start thinking on my own and I had some disagreements with my father and being a grandfather now, I look back on some of those things and you know what I found out? I was the one that was wrong. And you know what you'll find out if you deal with God as your father? That you're the one that's wrong. Every 
time. Never will you be right and God be wrong. Ever, ever, never, can't, not happen. You see, when I surrender myself to God's Word, the day I got saved, August 28th, 1977. A little while ago. I gave my life. I stopped trying to save myself. I came as that little child and I said, God, I'm, try- I'm tired. This was my prayer. I'm tired of praying. I'm tired of trying to be good. I'm tired. I was in a, in a church where they taught how to be saved. I prayed the sinner's prayer, I'll bet, a thousand times. Someone was trying to help me understand. They said, well, listen, if you really mean it, God will save you. Can I, I challenge you, can you tell me what really mean it actually means? As I look back, the best I can figure out was I was depending upon my sincerity as a little boy, praying to God, Lord, I really, really mean it. I want to be saved this time. Is that a prayer of faith, my friends? Absolutely not. That's why God won't answer it. It's not connected to truth. Salvation is not a wish. It's an act of Almighty God. And it happens when I attach truth to my prayer and I call upon the name of the Lord and ask Him to save me. That's a one-time event. I was born into God's family. I wish I could tell you I've been a perfect child of my Heavenly Father. But I'd be lying. But I'll tell you what. Every struggle I've had, I found out one thing. He was right. I was wrong. And that if I just surrendered to Him like Jesus did to go to the cross, He worked out all the difficulties. But there are a few things the Bible talks about here. It says, today is the day of salvation. I want to challenge you. There must be a time where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and ask Him to save you. Salvation is an event. It happens at a point in time. After you get saved, you ought to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the baptism is about. I don't go walking up and down the aisles during the invitation and say, You haven't been baptized yet. How about you do it? I don't think that would get us very far. I don't think that would be of the Lord. But I want to challenge you, if you're here today and you're saved and you've not followed the Lord in believer's baptism, in a few moments we're having an invitation. I invite you to come forward and say, can you tell me about that? No pressure is going to be applied. Just going to answer your questions from the Bible. After you're saved, actually... The way it works here is you request salvation and upon your baptism, I mean, you get saved from God, request baptism, and upon your baptism, you become a member of the church. 
Because you're supposed to serve God in the body of Christ, which is the local church. But again, we're not going to go out and force you into something you don't want to do. But if you say, well, I'm I'm willing to be baptized, but I'm not going to do that church membership thing. You can't get baptized because it doesn't work that way. Baptism is a statement of obedience to God's word. And therefore, you should follow him in that direction. And when I read in the Bible... I can find out that that's what they did in the book of Acts. They they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You know what that gives me? Confidence in my heart toward God that what I am doing is what the Bible said. Love in deed, what you do, and in truth. You see, you follow what the Bible says. Now, don't raise your hand on this one, please. Do not raise your hand. Hold them tight if you have to. How many of you can think of a person that you don't like? Every hand go up. Well, the Bible says if we have the love of God dwelling in us, it needs to reach out to other people. You see, the world talks about unity and love, but they don't mean it. All you have to do to find out what it, uh, what it means not to, uh, not to share in the love is go to one of those uh, political conventions with somebody else's hat on and see what happens to you. Uh, you're not going to be feeling the love, but you, you might need a hospital bed when you get out of there. I mean, there's a lot of crazy people in this world. But this book tells me That if I can't love the person sitting beside me, I don't have the love of God in me. Oh, that gets tough. Because, Lord, you don't know how big a jerk that person really is. Oh, yes, he does. And, by the way, you're on the same list because we're all on that list now, aren't we? And when we surrender our lives as Jesus surrendered his, guess what we do? We start obeying the words that are in this book. And when we obey the words that are in this book, we have to love those unlovable people all around us. Because it just works that way. You can't have God living in you and hating people. It doesn't work that way. You know, this is one of those sermons that's hard to preach because every one of us in this room got a lot of things to work on. But we got to work on these things because this is real Bible faith. If we want a real Bible Baptist church, we've got to work on these things. My little children, love not in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord, we ask that you would help us 
each one of us in this room this morning that we would live these words. That we would not be content to just say them, to speak this language, to look the part, to act the part. But Lord, that we would love indeed and in truth. We pray for those that may be in this auditorium that do not know you as their personal Savior. That today would be that day that they would come as that little child and just fall at the feet of Jesus and ask him to save them. Lord, we pray for those that are saved and have yet to follow you in baptism and membership and service for the Lord in the local church. Lord, who struggle with loving others the way they should. That your love would do its work in our heart. That your word, your truth would be real in our lives and change what we do. So that we could have that confidence in our hearts toward God. We ask you to work in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We often use 301 as our invitation hymn. The words say only trust Him. And this morning we're not even going to take the hymn books out of the rack. But if you need to leave your seat and come here to an old-fashioned altar and spend a few minutes with the Lord, we'd encourage you to do that right now.